revealed King's fears that the march wouldn't be taken seriously by Congress and the White House. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, he warned. Those who underestimated the movement's power, he said, would have a rude awakening. It was perhaps the darkest and most discouraged speech King ever gave. But then something strange and wonderful happened. A voice rang out from the back of the dais. It was Mahalia Jackson. "'Tell them about your dream, Martin!' She could feel that King had dwelt too long in the dark valley. He needed to bring the crowd up to the sunlit mountaintop. Having heard him give riffs of the dream speech to earlier audiences, Jackson knew just what King needed to do. "'Tell them about the dream!' she cried once more. King seemed to address his next line, "'Let us not wallow in the valley of despair,' as much to himself as to the crowd. He then pattered, I say to you today, my friend, and paused, triggering soft applause from the tired audience and buying himself the time he needed to reorganize his thoughts. King then seemed to find the words Mahalia Jackson had tossed him, and he began the new speech. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. From there, King led the hot crowd in a rapid climb out of the valley. When we allow freedom to ring... When we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty, we are free at last! With the words, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last, racial integration suddenly felt inevitable. Even the nervous Kennedy, who was watching the speech live on television down the street, was impressed. He's damn good, he told his aides. When Kennedy greeted King at the White House later that same day, the president smiled and said, I have a dream. Three months later, Kennedy was dead. But his successor, Lyndon Johnson, surprised nearly everyone and became an aggressive pursuer of King's dream. Over the next two years, Congress passed and President Johnson signed the sweeping Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts. And while those laws might have been enacted no matter what speech King had given, it is unlikely that history would have unfolded as peacefully or as quickly as it did had it not been for King's dramatic and mysterious leap from the nightmare to the dream. One. One unfortunate consequence of having quoted Dr. King in our essay was that we ended up tapping into that apparently inexhaustible reservoir of nostalgia for the 1960s. The truth is that King's dramatic leap from the nightmare to the dream can be a parable for the future only if we first understand how much the world has changed since 1963. Schools today are still segregated, but for reasons vastly more complex than Jim Crow. Americans of all colors are living roughly a decade longer, thanks in part to advances in medicine. Our homes and cars are larger, and more of us own them. We take such luxuries as air conditioning, cell phones, and inexpensive air travel for granted. And our air and water are far cleaner. Our unprecedented wealth and freedom have profoundly changed what we care about, aspire to, and believe in. So it's no wonder that the old political and moral fault lines no longer apply. Civil rights, the environment, feminism, labor, what were once cutting-edge movements are now established special interests. This is due in no small part to their success. 
Rights-based liberalism ended school segregation, dramatically reduced employment discrimination, and gave women the right to abortions. And environmental laws cleaned up our air and water and protected wilderness lands. But the old politics has taken us as far as it can. The world has changed in profound ways, but liberal interest groups have not. In defining themselves and their interests so narrowly, it is the issue groups and their political allies, not boogeymen like Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, and the Heritage Foundation, who have created the widespread impression that liberalism is little more than an aggregation of the aggrieved. Environmentalists define their interests as limiting human intrusions upon nature. Healthcare reformers define theirs around ensuring the uninsured. Civil rights groups define their mandate around ending racial prejudice and disparities. And reproductive rights and women's groups define theirs around access to contraception and abortion. This literalism in setting policy contains.